Mark Lynch, Director of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the POLMEP's Middle East Political Science Podcast, our series of conversations with leading scholars in the field. With us today is Suzanne Dahlgren of the National University of Singapore and the University of Tampere. Department of Social Anthropology. She's the author of a book, Contesting Realities, The Public Sphere and Morality in Southern Yemen, and publishes frequently on revolutionary movements in Yemen and Islamic law. Uh, Suzanne, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. So there's obviously a lot happening in uh, in southern Yemen uh, these days, and I, I've been trying to understand uh, the different types of movements and organizations that have emerged in recent years uh, around the, this kind of new politics that have been shaped by the war. Could you tell us about uh, kind of how are uh, politics in southern Yemen uh, coming together these days in this changing environment? Okay, but I think we have to go back a little bit in history to explain why South Yemen and North Yemen are together today and why South Yemen wants to leave the Union. So um, in 1990, uh, suddenly, quite out of the blue, the two leaders of the uh, two countries, North Yemen and South Yemen, decided to put the, the countries together without very much planning. Um, the documents of the unification were only six pages. If you compare to uh, unification of Germany, you have thousands of pages of documents, uh, agreements on what to do in, in different uh, fields of uh, administration, army, so on. But in Yemen, that wasn't the case. So, so it was a in the beginning, it was a happy union, but uh, very soon it turned out to be very um, ugly politics, actually, from the perspective of the southerners. And uh, <clears throat> so, uh, first time, you can say that uh, things went really bad in 1993 already, three years after unity. And uh, that uh, led to the first inter-Yemeni war, or in first in the sense that uh, during the time that these two countries were together. And uh, the current war, which started in 2015, is consider considered by Southerners as, as an inter-Yemeni war, sort of north-south war. They see that as the major line yes. of conflict. Yeah, so, so they think that the, the Houthi movement, together with the former president, Ali Abdullah Saleh, that they... Um, want to conquer militarily South Yemen, and they have taken up arms in order to resist that. And they are working in, in cooperation with the, with the Saudi, uh, Saudi war coalition, meaning that the, in, in South Yemen you have two very contradictory ideas about uh, the Saudi involvement in this war. In, in, in the South, um, uh, they consider that uh, the Saudis are their allies to, to mm -hmm. stop this uh, Houthi Saleh invasion, while in the north it, it's considered an aggression. Now, how does this then relate to the movements for southern independence, which had been emerging in, in earlier years prior to 2015? That's right, yeah. Um, the movement actually gained uh, form, you can say, in 2007. That was when the uh, southern uh, officers sacked from the army after the first war in 1994, uh, formed a um, 
small groups and started to demonstrate against the uh, marginalization of, of southerners. And they were joined by uh, unemployed people, young people, and suddenly we have this, uh, what is called the Southern Movement. In, in Arabic, it's called Hirak. And, uh, and this movement is a sort of, you can say, a prelude to the uh, 2011 Arab Spring revolutions. Um, during that year, Southerners were very enthusiastic to, to see that also Northerners are, uh, are protesting against the, the rule of um, President Ali Abdullah Saleh. And they, in the beginning, they sort of joined forces. Mm -hmm. But then uh, very soon they realized that the Northerners were not at all interested in, in, in uh, embracing the, the ideas of, uh, of Southerners, meaning uh, mm -hmm. to stop the mar marginalization in, in army and public service. And, uh, well, when, you, when you go back to the Iraq in, uh, in, in the 2007 and after, uh, in, in your time with doing research there, did it seem to have a large social base or was it uh, more of a, a small elite movement? Well, I would say that in the very beginning, it was, of course, a very um, limited group of people, these former officers of the army, unemployed uh, people, uh, some activists. But during the course of the, war, uh, of the years that I followed, I realized that more and more people are actually... Mm -hmm. sort of uh, attracted by the by the message and and uh, then uh, I would say that um, already in 2011 uh, it was a movement that consisted all of uh, all social strata but at the same time intellectuals were quite uh, skeptical at that moment why is that um, I think uh, I think because uh, Basically, the Southern Movement is a new type of social movement, meaning that uh, it, it's not the old type of movement where you have a leader uh, uh, document and, and agenda to what to do and a hierarchical sort of uh, con uh, construction of, of, the, of the organization. It's nothing like that. It's like an inspiration. It's an umbrella. And for young people, this, this of course, has been uh, something that they could join very easily but for these older generations sort of they in the beginning they couldn't see that uh, this is something mm -hmm. but this was reversed I think in um, 2013 when uh, uh, they also introduced um, what they call civil disobedience days meaning that they closed all the uh, schools shops uh, uh, government offices to protest against the violence that that uh, the regime was uh, directing at um, at this peace wound movement, and at that time already you could see that uh, it, it's really now sort of uh, uh, all social strata. While at the same time in the countryside you could find pockets of um, areas where which were not yet touched by this movement. But uh, today I think all the whole South Yemen is sort of. Uh, involved in, in, in this movement. It's a real popular popular mm -hmm. revolution. If you go back to 2011, when you did have protests in both the North and the South, uh, how did how did the contact between the Hirakis and uh, people from the South with the protesters in Change Square and the Sana'a-based uh, uh, protest movement, how did that go? Did they actually find common ground? 
Yes, um, um, in the beginning, um, obviously, the, the slogans were quite similar. I mean, you, you could find these um, same slogans that you had in, in first in Tunisia, Egypt, other countries, uh, meaning that um, uh, the, the basic call was uh, Irhal, mm -hmm. leave for the president. And um, then uh, it was um, protest against um, um, corruption and, uh, and embezzlement of uh, public funds. So and, very similar. Yeah. But then uh, what happened actually was that um, some activists from the south visited these uh, chain square uh, uh, places in the north. And, and uh, they sort of went there in order to... Um, to um, find sort of common ground and, and agree about uh, some common um, actions and, and they were sort of uh, turned down. And that was the, the, the moment that they in mm. the South decided that, okay, it's our own revolution that we have to do and these people are not going to help us. When the UN was running uh, the National Dialogue Sessions, uh, the envoy, Jamal Benamar, made considerable efforts to bring uh, people from, from the South into those discussions, but it didn't seem to work. Well, uh, actually, there was a group of um, Southerners uh, as part of this National Dialogue Conference. Um, I personally know many of those, and uh, uh, part of these people have... Um, not really linked to the southern movement, but hmm. but there was a section of of the southern movement also involved in that conference. But um, um, these people sort of tried to negotiate an agenda in the in the conference that would please southerners. But it it came out that uh, it wasn't really sort of um, something that uh, uh, that the conference would really bring that much. Um, um, or serve the interests of, of this movement. So, so that's why they, they were disappointed and, and, um, and also this uh, federal plan that came mm -hmm. out from the conference uh, is something that uh, not everybody in the South was pleased about. Which is interesting because this uh, this federal plan was also one of the major complaints of the Houthi movement. Exactly. It seems yes. like they ended up pleasing nobody. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it did please, yes, and the, the uh, political elite, but uh, but not very much other, in in particular regions where we're not very happy about that. So, do you see then kind of a straight line from two thousand seven to where we are now, or do you think that two thousand eleven or two thousand fifteen were real inflection points that pushed it in a different direction? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, two thousand eleven was important on the uh, sense that that was the final sort of moment that Southerners decided that okay, it's it's our own struggle that we have to um, go through. Uh, southern and northerners are not going to uh, help us and and then um, in 2015 when when the um, this uh, northern army and and Husi movement started to advance militarily to the south it was uh, clearly the sort of uh, final bolt in the coffin of uh, Yemeni unity, you can say. It was really quite a, quite astonishing to see the Houthis moving down towards Aden. This is exactly. unprecedented. It is, yeah. And and and, and the interesting is also that uh, because when in if you take a look at the former North Yemen, also there there are large areas where um, the Houthis are very much resisted. 
So it, it, it's clearly a sort of uh, North, Northern Highlanders who should not go down to the um, lowlands because uh, basically their culture is different and, and also their religion is uh, slightly different. So, so it, it's um, um, their presence really is, is not accepted. Seems like a major miscalculation. Absolutely, yeah. yeah and, and it's interesting to see that um, um, what lies sort of behind this kind of um, miscalculation. So in the, in the military intervention which followed, you mentioned that many in the South uh, view the Saudi intervention positively. One of the things which is interesting is the way that actually the UAE has established itself uh, in the South. And, and uh, many people look at this and say it's almost turning into a permanent presence. How, how would you evaluate the, uh, the way the UAE's involvement, um, as well as the Saudi, but specifically the UAE, in terms of the Southern independence movement and, uh, and where things might be going? Well, um, from the southerners' perspective, the role that um, the Emirates are playing is, is much more important than Saudi Arabia because uh, basically Saudi Arabia um, on the ground, it has been supporting the, um, the current president who is very much um, <coughs> uh, presented in, in, in the south. So, so it's about, while the Emirates are clearly together with the, with the southerners, they have a... Um, trained their army and also they have extensively um, started rebuilding in, mm -hmm. in different parts of the of uh, southern soil but um, I would say that uh, I think there's two sort of uh, parallel um, um, processes going on with the Emirati involvement in, in Yemen. One is this reconstruction and then sort of trying to uh, help the areas that have been liberated from from this Houthi advance already, meaning that they are trying to establish uh, stability and security in those areas, and and also that they are fighting Al Qaeda and, and uh, jihadist movements. But then uh, the other um, process is is this Emirati interest in uh, first of all establishing uh, its. Um, uh, maritime uh, presence in in not only in in, uh, in the Middle East but also in Africa. You, you can see mm -hmm. that the Emirates have established their ports in in um, even in Libya and and um, in Somalia they are discussing currently in uh, Eritrea they already established it and it's uh, it's clearly uh, visible that they are uh, having similar plans in Yemen too. Um, the other factor uh, in this uh, kind of um, uh, strategy is, is to establish um, Emirati military presence in, in, in that uh, seaway, which uh, uh, is basically the seaway that um, uh, the Gulf oil flows to the world market. And, and for Emiratis, uh, the key problems in, in, in this um, region is, is, first of all, Iranian presence and, and the uh, threat that uh, Iran might one day close Hormuz Strait. So, so they have to have some kind of other ways mm. of, of uh, rolling the, the oil to the world market. But then the, the other risk in that area is of course uh, global terrorism. You have on, on the African coast you have the uh, Somali ter uh, terrorists who are attacking 
uh, seaways. Mm -hmm. And and then you have on, on Arabian Peninsula, you have Al-Qaeda and, and, and the others. So, so you're an anthropologist and you know, you've been seeing these communities over the course of many years. How would you say that this process of you know, the rise of an, of an independence movement and now two and a half years of, of war and a humanitarian crisis, how has it changed uh, southern Yemen at, at the societal level? Uh, in, in your experience? Well, I, I have been observing um, South Yemen since uh, the 80s. And, and, and that was the time when they had the independent state. Uh, so I went uh, as a young student uh, first time in 1982 uh, to the country that was called People's Democratic mm -hmm. Yemen, the Republic of Yemen. And uh, I realized that it, it's so fascinating country, little studied anthropologically, and I wanted to go back and then that sort of started my scholarly involvement. During that time, I, I must say that um, the early years, um, I think young people were very passive and are not interested in politics. But uh, this is something that is clearly different today, that you have young people uh, initiating different types of um, uh, even one person projects mm -hmm. uh, on, on the community base. And, uh, and also that uh, now women are back in politics, in, mm. in, in public life. They were very depressed during the, the years of, of unification uh, because they were basically pushed uh, back home. Uh, so, uh, so these two trends and, and um, um, also that the, the civil society is so lively today it's really, really interesting to to follow what uh, how how they are mm -hmm. older generations um, educating the young people because um, and the school system was um, destroyed basically during the unity time, and meaning that um, the young people don't know about the history of their own community. So uh, in in these revolution squares that I have written about them, um, they. And I call them street corner universities because hmm. it, it's where where um, people are sharing knowledge about the true knowledge about their history, which has been tried to be wiped away, sort of by this unity narrative that has uh, explained that both Yemens uh, uh, came to unity from the same sort of uh, backward platform. Mm -hmm. So you see a real uh, re-engagement with politics. Kind of across uh, across gender, across generations. Yeah. Has the war affected that in any in any way? Uh, it has, of course. Um, I mean, uh, currently it's um, because um, um, basically uh, most people have not received their salaries for more than a year, and people are really uh, desperate in in even in those areas where there is no actual fighting going on. That um, security situation is really bad. Uh, there are power cuts daily, meaning that you have to basically stop doing everything when when the power cut comes because it's so hot and humid. And um, and nothing is is really sort of running. So so but um, but then at the same time you have this enthusiasm uh, that the independence uh, idea is is um, raising in people, and and that's I think quite unique. 
Well, thanks. We've been speaking with Suzanne Dahlgren of the University of Tampere and National University of Singapore. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.